Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. Um, my name's Pip Adam and this is episode 80, um, which coincidentally um, is the 8th in our 10 part sound series um, where I talk to writers and artists about their work in relation to sounds they have chosen. So in this episode I talk to David Long and Anna Smale who will introduce themselves um, when I stop talking um, and they both chose beautiful pieces of music for us to talk about. Um, David chose a piece of music he wrote which is called Gas Masks and um, this piece was written for a Douglas Wright show wrapped Um, and if you go to our website which is better-red.com you'll be able to see a video of um, the dance piece with David's music and highly recommend that it's quite magnificent to watch movement and sound together in such a beautiful way. Anna chose the second movement of Brahms Violin Sonata Number no. 1 and you can also find a link to that on our webpage better-red.com. Um, I need to tell you that I have put together a Spotify playlist that captures some of the songs that we talk about in this series. Um, some people sort of talk about things in passing and I've tried to capture as many of those as possible in the um, Spotify playlist. You can find a link to that in better-red.com but it is actually just called Better Off Red Sound Series so you might even find it on Spotify without me um, telling you where. Um, Our exercise showcase is hopefully coming up in a couple of weeks um, and we would love it if you would be willing to submit works for that showcase. So at the end of each one of these chats I've given an exercise and you might be willing to record one of these exercises on your cell phone or a recorder and then email it to me at betterredNZ at gmail.com. What I've done now is I've put all the previous exercises in one place um, so you can actually go to our um, website and you'll find a place with all the exercises on it. Alternatively I'm very happy um, to just receive recordings of work that you've written that you think is interesting from a sound perspective so that would be amazing. We've got a deadline for submitting that audio and it's the Thursday the 24th of September so if you could do that before then that would be amazing. Um, I guess the only thing I need left that is left for me to do um, is to say thank you very much to Creative New Zealand Toy Aotearoa for um, the financial support um, in making this series. Also, I'd like to thank um, Brent McIntyre who um, provides the music um, during this podcast. So, yeah, thank you so much, everybody. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, let's make a move. Um, let's start. Oh. Um, thank you both for coming. Thank you, Anna. It's awesome to see you. And thank you, David. It's great to see you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's really nice that we'll be here. And thanks for letting us use your space, David. It's really quite exciting to be here for me. It's it just, yeah, it's really wonderful. Um, so how we normally start off is that I ask people just to introduce themselves, sort of however they feel might be a good way to introduce themselves. So I don't know, we could go on alphabetical order. Um, we could go on alphabetical order by last names or first names. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you decide. Uh, oh, which, do you want to start, David? My name's David Long. I'm, I make music um, and I've done that for most of my life now um i'm not quite sure i've made i've started in rock bands and then i moved into more experimental things and went back into rock bands and go back and forth between those things and i do lots of music for film Mm. and tv now 
Yeah. Man, yeah. I was, oh, sorry, I won't say that. I was going to say, I feel like I also, you've been a big part of my life because I feel like I've been listening to you for a long time right. as well, which is really great. It's really awesome. Um, Anna, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Anna, Anna Smale. Um, I'm a writer. I um, My first sort of published work was poetry, but I feel like I've shifted identity and now can sort of claim novelist status. Um, I've written one novel, The Chimes, and I'm working on my second novel at the moment. Um, and I, I sort of had an early adult kind of period as, as thinking I was a musician, I guess. I think I was always a little bit doubtful about it, but I was really seriously um, serious about playing the violin for quite a long time in my sort of early, early life. Uh, yeah, and played in orchestras and did performance music briefly. Um, yeah, so I sort of had an, a sort of, I guess, a kind of a conscious shift from music to to writing. Um, yeah, I think that's that's me. It's really uh, thank you so much, both of you, because I think that it is interesting. I don't know, like I always like asking people to introduce themselves because I think that. Um, you know, like how we contextualize ourselves in different situations is always really interesting. And, sure. and um, yeah, I'm always interested in how we often live lots of different lives, you know, like which I think is, is really interesting. And especially, I think it kind of ties in a little bit to both the sounds that you've bought. Like, mm. um, thank you both for bringing such amazing pieces to think about. And I just wonder um, if you'd like to introduce those. Like, is there anything you'd like to tell us about those pieces? Or is there a reason that, you chose them or anything like that like um do you want to start again david okay um so so the piece i chose was a piece of music i've made called gas masks made mainly using feedback um, and it was made for a show for Douglas Wright 
I loved the dance that it was to as well. So Douglas is, so was sort of very important, um, important to me. And so I was really, I, I'm pleased with the music and I like the f feedbacks being what I've spent a lot of my life making, which when I left the Muffin Birds, actually, I had this feeling, weird feeling that I'd spent all these years working out if I had these pedals on and had a note and if I could touch my guitar to the right and <laughs> I could play that and it would start feeding back on the tonic. And if I turned turned around and put sort of had my back to the amplifier and took a step backwards and then bent over, I could get it the fifth to come in. And when I left the band, I thought, oh my God, I've spent all these years doing <laughs> the most stupid thing. Like... It's got no um, no application in the world, <laughs> but um, but I do it still a lot. I do it lots for films, and um, and so so and and in some ways actually, I when I did this piece for Douglas, I tuned some of the feedback, and I made the feedback by spinning small cheap microphones in front of an amplifier, so you get these sort of loopy, strange sounds, and um, so yeah. So I, I think it, hopefully it shows something that I like. I had an idea it was so sort of physical and so positional, like you have to, yeah. like you're, so you're kind of tuning yourself against the room and the the amp and the mic and so many Yeah, it's all about this gain structure yeah. thing and it's always really, and I, I, said, I think I said to Pip, it's really dangerous. You can, like, I mean, it's sort of like it can go out of control yeah. really, really easily, which I really Well, like each setup like. is a totally different instrument. Yeah. Which you don't really have an oh, well, You actually do it in a different room. Yeah. And it, and it you've, it's going to. Completely different. Yeah, it's going to be really different again. And um, But I like the fact that you can, that it's wild. Hmm, it's amazing. Yeah, and I think, like, I mean, what what's interesting to me, and this is probably just, I don't know, I'm, I don't know much about anything, but I was thinking the piece that you bought, Anna, in a way, has some of that wildness to me as well, if you know what I mean, because even though I often think of that type of music as being precise, mm, yes. there is... Um, you know, there's a sense of physicality even in there. Like, I mean, how things are bowed, how things yeah. are, you know, with how much force comes down on the instruments. I well, don't know. Yeah, like, no, yeah. really Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, um, I think, yeah, in a way, that's what drew me to that piece and why I sort of wanted to bring it in as well. Um, so the piece that I, I brought or sent through was um, it's the second movement of Brahms's first violin sonata. So it's a, a piano and a violin cha chamber music where they're playing it's, they're, and they're very intimate. They're not, you know, often with um, sonatas, it's like the violin's the star and then the piano's doing the sort of, you know, fiddling down the bottom. But in the Brahms's sonatas, they're very well balanced and it's it's very, you know, this kind of conversation. Um, and it's I love the piece. It was one of the, I think the first piece, when I started taking violin seriously and really wanting to sort of express myself as a violinist, um, like one of the first pieces that really got under my skin and felt inadequate too because I couldn't you know it was sort of there were lots of technical challenges that were new to me it wasn't like playing baroque music where you sort of could feel like you could you know not master it but that you know it was an it was an easier kind of spectrum of technical challenge um anyway yeah so this this second movement is one of the things that I love about it are, are these sort of intense periods of emotion where 
it's play over a really like long sustained bow over a, um, a slow um, sort of melodic line and particularly where it's doing the double stopping where it's playing two strings at once and I feel you're right that kind of wildness comes through when you know you've got this intense thing to express and you've got the technical challenge of, of doing it slowly and the kind of potential error I guess is that it could sound quite grating and um, a sort of you know, you can almost hear the the vibrations of the bow kind of drawing over the strings. And yet that's sort of where the power and of the emotion comes through. So you've got this kind of, I think, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of performance as sort of virtuosity and having to be perfect. And yet to me, you know, there's this incredible thing of the potential for mistakes in performance. And I think um, the moments where, biography shows through or like kind of um individuality shows through where it's not perfect and I guess this is one of those moments where it feels like it's kind of almost flirting with that and I think that's inherent to the piece as well it's a, obviously it's a it's a really emotional piece um it's like Brahms I mean this is I think slightly apocryphal I'm not sure if it was completely um you know we can't entirely know like what drove him to compose it um, but so his godson was Clara and Robert Schumann's son, Felix, and he died quite young. And so this piece was sort of an encapsulation, I think, of how he felt. And he's written a letter to Clara about that. So it's about loss and grief. About. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, and it, and it really feels like that. It, it feels, it's got, yeah. uh, I listened to it and it's so exposed that's yes, what I yes, found yes, really that's you it. know so yeah. it's those it's that thing where technique is it's not about playing fast no, but it's yeah. about holding the that sustained. those long notes that just that's so exposing and so beautiful yeah it's you're um, right that's the word yeah and it's yeah it's the exposure of yeah I don't know it's really hard to describe it actually it's just that but it's that yes that's sustaining something which takes up so much discipline and stamina. Yeah, yeah. And yet it's, all of it is like crying out. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. It's really amazing. Because, I mean, like this, sorry, I mean, this always, these talks always, you know, like the questions that I ask are always about what's obsessing me at the moment. And I must <laughs> say that what is really obsessing me about the moment, at the moment is this, um, I don't even know what you'd call it, like this relationship or nexus between body and sound, you know what I mean? Like between musical instrument mm. and, you know, even like singing, you know, like when you take a breath and that kind of thing. And I'm wondering with this idea of feedback, um, would um, like, because I was exactly the same as you, I was like, oh my God, it's a physical, thing. like, oh my gosh, you know, this you are literally playing kind of space in a way. Mm. Um, and, I mean, I guess I have a really stupid question, which is, you know, what is feedback for starters? And then, you know, like, is is it impossible for your body to make certain noises and other people's bodies to make different noises? Or yeah, I don't well, know. Well, that's an interesting thought. I, I mean, I'm really, really unknowledgeable when it comes to technical things. <laughs> like to me, electricity is like magic. That's how yeah, I explain well, it, it to my kids. <laughs> but um, but so f feedback is. Uh, happens from like a loop that that happens when you're talking into a microphone and if you're close to a loudspeaker where that's coming out then then that will the the microphone if you're near the speaker will hear hear what's coming out right. again and that will go through 
the microphone back into the speaker and come out again. Ah. And so it's like a, a loop that that develops and builds up and builds up. And so generally it's something that you don't want. You know, we've mm. all been at, you know, when someone turns on a mic at a, <laughs> you know, or in every movie you ever see, when someone comes yeah. up to do a speech, there's always, they, they shuffle with the mic and there's a little bit of feedback. And I always go, mm, that doesn't happen every time. But but it's used, I think, in movies to show discomfort. You yeah. know? But um, but so normally you don't want it. You know, you don't want feedback. But um, when you use it, so, but, so then thinking about the physicality of it, I mean, I've just made this, been making this mm. sample instrument of feedback with friends and um and so I was spinning microphones and stuff but there there were times as well and it was funny I saw David um um filmed some of the friend who's making it filmed some and I was putting the microphone in my mouth and when you change your sort of the shape of your mouth it would be feeding the feedback happens in different ways so um I don't do that much sort of live because it looks a bit ridiculous, but um, <laughs> but it's a really interesting, you know. So you are you're changing the contours of yeah. the resonance, the resonance space. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, and naively, a violin is cradled, isn't it? Like, is oh, there totally. any sound coming? Like, it, it, you know. Like, does a violin sound different if you play it away from your shoulder? I oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm not hugely knowledgeable about yep. the technical side. But, yeah, I mean, it sounds different if you're tense, you know, because your wow. body is, um, you know, your muscles are kind of stopping the flow. And, yeah. um, you know, and yeah, so it's just everything about it. And, yeah, and there's all different kind of ways in which you can hold a violin. Like, you know, a lot of people think you should just have it directly on your body and that's the kind of way that you can sort of have the most natural technique as well. But then, you know, you've also got these kind of metal struts with pads that people use to hold it up. I mean, the violin is such a strange instrument because it's it's so sort of impractical and sort of um, unnatural when you think about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it looks natural playing a guitar. It sort of sits on you. And yeah, sort yeah. Of, but a violin, I mean, it's, it's quite awkward and uncomfortable to learn. But, and but you know, hold. you see like... Um, folk players often oh, who, when it's who cradled cradle down. it yeah you know and and that's a and it's a really natural yeah yeah, yeah. It's a, and so maybe i don't know what what came first i mean obviously violin came out of other instruments i yeah, guess and yeah. bows but, but this but, idea of bowing like i mean that i mean that kind of like i i am humongous fan of bowed guitars and stuff like yeah. that and i just think like who thought of that? Like, <laughs> I love your mind. Yeah, right back to the beginning. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, bows used to be like that really? as well, like, like a, a real, like, like a, a bow, bow and arrow, arrow. Yeah. exactly, yeah. like a hoop. And so the tension would have been completely different, and the sort of angles that you can get, like a contemporary violin bow, the weight of your arm is heaps more significant. So, like a baroque violin has a sort of lighter, kind of featherier sound, and it's and it bounces. You know, the bow mm-hmm. is, you know, it's like because it's more sort of tensile. Whereas, you know, with a contemporary classical violin, you, it's all the weights coming from your elbow and that, that sort of the, the sort of weight of your arm from the shoulder as well. So you can get that really, like that sustained double stopping in the Oystrak recording. So, yeah, it's interesting how it's evolved. No, totally. I mean, yeah, there's good questions. And, like, I just, like, everything we're talking about makes me think body, emotion. And it, I mean, I've been dying to ask you this, David. Like, um... I, I talked to um, Branovan a little while ago and we were talking about how in film 
you can often get away with a bad picture if there's good sound, but you can't get away with a good picture if there's bad sound. Yeah. And I just wonder about this job that you've got of directing people's emotion and well, is it directing people's emotion? But do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, you, you are. Yeah. You're, you're, you're hopefully at its best. You're aiding, say, the storytelling or the mood. Mm, you know, mm, mm. Um, it, often either of those. But um, so you are you are sort of directing or suggesting or mm. or heightening. Like I sometimes think that score. You know, I think I think probably most films these days has, have too much music, mm. and mm, same mm, with mm. TV films, film and TV. But um, um, I like Walter Murch, this guy who's like the guru of editing and stuff and and sound. He did the sound for Apocalypse Now and mm. and but um. He talks about um, that music should. He likes music at the end of scenes, and he and he talks about music being like a collector and convener of the emotion that's been built up in the scene before, wow. and it's like a place to reflect on that. Which I really like that you barely ever get it, but other times you can underscore, you know, things. It doesn't have to be in a transitional sense but um i i think i i love i i'm sort of obsessed more and more with just actually the whole sound you know the how how music dialogue and effects um all sort of can be used to sort of heighten you know heighten the story or mm. you know the way that i always show students i teach a course that um couple and they i play them scene from the piano where Sam Neill cuts the finger off mm. and um, and it was the first time when I saw that film that I noticed like what they were doing with the with the sound where yeah. where he the there's was, the scores going on you know that that themes going on and on and on on the piano and it gets crazier and crazier and then as he drags her out and when he cuts the finger the score stops and she stands up and all the Rain also starts disappearing, and she walks across the muddy yard, and all you, almost all you hear is her foot, feet in the mud. So everything else has sort of disappeared, and it's such a powerful moment. Mm. And then um, the little girl starts reacting, and then the world comes back. Mm. But um, I sort of love that way that. You know that's taking everything out. Mm, mm. Um, I just think, I just think it's really, really exciting. <laughs> it's incredible. Do you have to have really close conversations with the actual, like the sort of foley? Sound yeah, what's the sound designer? Yeah, I try, always try and like have, if you, if you have a, if you make a conv- if you make a relationship with them, it always goes better. Because yeah. sometimes you know a scene might want to be effects driven, or it might want to be you know like it might be about. You know, what sort of wind is in something? You yeah, know, we yeah. all know that you put a little slightly howly wind, and every and you're going to go, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, even in that, in the piano, in that scene leading up to that, the little girl's running up to deliver a thing, and she goes, she goes up, and you see a silhouette against a hill, and you hear some thunder, mm. and you're going, we're being told, you know, mm. we're being told. 
something bad's going to happen. <laughs> but but in a really quite a subtle way. But we've been, we've been manipulated towards the whole thing's leading us. So, you know, like, I, I hate it. And, you know, I hate that sort of horror movie convention of telling you things before they happen. But mm. you can subtly... Oh, but sometimes that's when it becomes the most alarming. Like, yeah, yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. jump scare thing. Yeah, yeah. No, we're waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. but um, I, I think that's. But yeah, I I think it's really amazing that you can shoot a feature film on an iPhone, mm, 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 mm. but it has to sound good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Was it who did Monts? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who said that as well? Because he had an amazing, you know, sound design for that. It was impressive. Yeah, and I think this is—I know this is like a total tangent and a dumb thing to say, but one thing I found really surprising was there was a time that I, like, when I first started recording sounds, I thought, oh, I want this to sound like we're inside a car. So I took my recorder, put it in my inside my car, and drove, mm. and it sounded nothing like the inside right. of the car. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's an article recently about this one of the sound, like most famous sound designers and things like cars cars have to have an element of lion roaring because that's what we want and bacon is bacon frying is the sound of rain i I say when when kirsten listens uh, sometimes she listens to snow falling and i always (laughs) say you know it's bacon (laughs) (laughs) that's mystifying and i love it when um you know sword foley in movies and it's like it has to be like the knife palette the swing the swing all the time and (laughs) you're going but they're just in the air how's it making as soon as you take it out it's gonna do that and that's the interesting thing isn't it that i like because i have been brought up by television you know like i've been watching television since i was three years old and that's where you know that was my friend and i often find it interesting that i can operate in the world you know what i mean knowing (laughs) do you know what i mean like why am i not waiting for the lion's roar you know when the car comes along you know like but it's a it's an interesting thing it's like um i i remember talking to a foley artist as well and they said that like when someone puts something down there's never one sound Mm. it's always at least two or three sounds as something's put put down you know um i I, that's cool stuff do you know what's weird to me is that we never think well i mean we do put sound in fiction but Mm, mm. how you never like really describe what things are sounding like in fiction do you well not often do do either of you i'm just trying to think i'm just trying to think like no i mean occasionally but you're far more likely to describe the weather or the smell than yeah or the light yeah because that's something I did want to ask you about the mm. chimes is that this idea of mood and how music brings mood and um, sound, I think, brings mood as mm. well. And I'm thinking in the chimes, sound is so there. Yeah. And, you know, the, the noise of the, um, the um, but I can never say that word properly. Oh, carry on. Yes, yes, or Carillion. Carillion, let's call it that. <laughs> yeah. um, but like the, the sound... I'm just wondering about what it was to so consciously bring sound to a novel. Can you even remember? Yeah. No, like, I can, but I, I feel like it's sort of um, possibly even disappointing because I feel like when I write, I don't have an oral hmm. kind of counterpoint. I feel um, even in terms of what the Carillion would have sounded like, the Carillion would have sounded like, I sort of have an idea of sort of, it's far more like an organ. It's not like I didn't go and listen in great detail mm, to mm. extent physical examples of the sound. Um, and even, you know, I have this weird thing where I don't really listen to music at all much when I'm writing, never at the same time. But mm. actually I sort of don't kind of immerse myself in music when I'm, I guess, in And the do world. you do it when you're not writing? Yeah, more. That's more, interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like mm. you're <clears throat> keeping that part of your mind. I think so, a little bit. I mean, I... I, don't, I mean, it's not so sort of um, regimented or kind of conscious, I guess, but 
yeah, it's funny. It feels like in when I think back to that book, the actual experience of composing it was quite silent. Mm, and I have mm. a kind of a when I think about writing, it's often quite silent. And yet, you know, that's contradictory because there's always musical drivers and um, sounds and songs that are like embedded in the fiction. But, you know, one of the hardest things in the book was describing certain sequences of music. Um, so, yeah, I don't know quite what the relationship is there with fiction and, um, and music. And I think, I mean, it's one of those classic things. It's incredibly difficult to describe the experience of listening to music in, in language and text and words. Um, yeah. And like I do wonder, you know, like I mean, I mean the whole I'm totally um, narcissistic, and I knew like one of the big reasons for making this series is that I am trying to write something with sound uh, in it at the moment, yeah, you know. Yeah. And like I was thinking that I'm always interested in this idea of what the memory of sound is like, because yeah. I do wonder if, like the watermelon being chopped for someone's head smashing in and stuff like mm. that, if maybe we have our own kind of lexicon or experience through memory and imagination like maybe sound oh, sounds different through yeah. imagination and, and memory yeah well i mean we have such strong cognitive you know memory ties to music like there are songs obviously that take you back yeah. to certain periods of your life and um and sounds you know sounds, like if yeah. you i don't know if you hear um if i hear I, a few years ago i went into a church and heard at a funeral and there was it was a catholic mass which yeah. i hadn't been in you know for 40 years or something and it took me right back yeah, to yeah. to just the, the the intonation of that mass yeah um, took me rhythms. right back to being a kid you know um yeah it just bypasses it all hey? yeah, just, yeah yeah and because smells do that mm-hmm. too don't they place you but yeah. songs are amazing aren't they that thing of you know a song that is a part of your life yeah. of a certain era and so powerful, yeah. Because it brings or a piece of music, yeah. not just a song. It brings sort of like a whole tableau of stuff back. It's not, yeah. yeah it's it's um, yeah. It's like a, this weird thing where I'm singing now like the lullabies that my mum sang to my children, and that weird circularity that you get when you're just like zooming back in time at the same time. It's yeah. And I think I've I've always um another thing that I've been talking to a few people about is this idea that um I um. Oh, sorry, that's like a therapy session for me. Um, but like I, I often can't sing a song, but I can sing along to a song. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, yeah I have totally. A, I have no tune memory. You know, like uh, you know, like I, I might know that's the lyrics, but I'm just like da 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 da. I don't know. <laughs> you know, whereas if once it goes it's going, on, you can do it. yeah, once yeah. it's going, I'm there. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like some songs that are notoriously tricky to kind of evoke, and yet, yeah, you need the, the the sort of memory. But then there's this like the kind of um, you know the Mind worm, what's going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just worm, can't escape yeah. the worm. Yeah, sorry, my brain. I wake, I I've often I wake up with, like, often with sort of songs from the seventies. Often they're like they'll be like Doobie Brothers songs, mm, or yeah, mm. something like that. And um, Kirsten said to me once, "That's why you'll never be a serious composer." <laughs> <laughs> so the earworm, it's, it's the I'm Doobie actually, Brothers. I'm actually really like at my base self. I'm really yeah. sort of quite. You know, I'm, I haven't left up a heart. <laughs> <laughs> do you reckon you know, or do you know, like from your personal experience, when you've composed something that is going to be an earworm that's got that catchy, that sort of repetitive I, I knew thing. doing that Misty Mountain thing that we did for uh, Hobbit. 
I knew that that was a good tune. Mm. But I remember trying to, I was singing it once, and Francis, our youngest, he would have been about four, and he's got like the best ear in the family. Yeah. I've, I've got a really quite a bad ear. And um, and he, he was, him going, no, 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 it goes like this, and he sang it perfectly. And I'm yeah. going, oh, yeah. I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Um, this is this is like this is a lame question I've been asking everyone as well. My questions are the problem; it's never the answers. Um, but do you think there's a difference musically? Like, I always think of poetry being more musical than fiction, and I do wonder. Like, it's been it's been a while since you've written poetry, yeah. so it's hard to render it out. But do you think that there is? Like, I don't know, like, does anything come through from, like, I, you know, I, I started writing poetry, that's where I started, and I feel like I've brought something of that rhythm into yeah. my fiction, but I don't know, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't, I mean, um, definitely, definitely, I think, because, I mean, it's sort of hard, it's a chicken and egg, because you don't yeah, know where yeah. it sort of initiated, but I think I pay a huge amount of attention, or I hope I do, to just the sort of tangible quality of the sort of oral quality of words. And so I'm always interested in, interested, I always play around with the, um, you know, like the weight of a sentence or the, the that it's pleasing to me, to my ear. And, the, and that's in terms of rhythm and it's in terms of kind of colour and texture and sort of yeah, the, which are yeah. all sort of like musical terms. Yeah, no, yeah. No, well, actually, the, no, the, I think of them. I think of music all the time and rhythm and color and texture. Yes. So you're, it's funny you saying talking, but I know exactly what you yeah, mean. Yeah, no, but you're right. They are they are phrases that they're words that the vocabs from music. I know I had this weird thing where I think um, I don't know if it's anything to do with my ear per se or just physiological or whatever. But when you hear like when you you know when you hear like open strings in a violin and it's or in tune or you just you hear when you know you've got the the harmonics and they're in tune. Mm. I feel this almost kind of like kind of can hear the sort of ringing sort of note in your ear. Like you can kind of That it resonates. That it resonates. You can almost imagine it kind of going you know and I think you can hear that with with certain poems as well. Like certain mm, qualities of poetry. Yeah. Like Yeats is like you can mm, hear mm, those mm, sort mm. of like open strings kind of going mm, um so I don't know if that's something that sort of come through sort of in terms of prose. I guess for prose I think um the thing that's probably emerged from my interest or my obsession with music is, I guess, an attention to to overarching rhythms, sort of like structural rhythms. But again, I don't know if that's come like through my experience of of music, or it's just you know, quality but of form is such yeah. an important thing, isn't yeah. it? Sort of, and um, so so. Th- they they're so probably so interrelated yeah. between musical form and and writing, you know that feeling of when something's sort of right. And I mean, yeah. there's form like when I think of songs, you can go, you know, there's this sort of verse, verse, chorus, mm. verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus out. You know, there's a the so you know yeah. the classic song form, but which is a bit like the three act Hollywood thing that we can't seem to get away mm, from. Mm. But it's so I find it I get really excited when when someone makes a form that feels really good that doesn't follow do that. those things that yeah, surprise yeah. me and um but still you you know often we fall back onto those things because they're they're often really satisfying you know but i i don't know i really like it when form is knocked around but yeah when it baffles still you works. in some way yeah when you have to sort of work it out yeah 
Well, that's where, I mean, it's a pity that you can't just directly translate, you know, musical form into, you know, like a sonata form novel or, you know. (laughs) I mean, I think people have done, I think Philip Hench has Mm, mm, tried mm, mm. experimenting with, um, yeah, like sort of musical structures in fiction. Because I know, again, this is kind of um, showing my dumbness, but I was really interested when you talk about, like when you named the piece that you bought, um, that has the word movement in it. Or there's a number, eh? Like it's the, um, so the sonata has a number. Yeah. So it's like yeah. So he he only wrote three, I think. To show my ignorance. Um. So yeah, it's the num- sonata number one, and then it's the second movement. So it's got usually sonatas have four movements. Oh right. Yeah. Because like that's um. It, it was like it took me years to realize that that's how the Bible was ordered as well. But like you know, people would say chapter this verse that, oh, and I'd right. be like what and and like. But whenever I see that in classical music, I don't quite understand well, what that means. Of, it's also very strange because certain composers like. Bach and Mozart, who've written so much stuff, had their own kind of numeric ordering awesome. systems as well. Yeah. So then, but then there's also opus. So you have like, you know, oh. it's, that's the number of, in the consecutive order of chronological pieces that you've written. So yeah, classical music is prohibitively um, kind of complicated. And it's kind of <laughs> interesting as well, this idea of titling, because I was just thinking about that piece is called Gas Mask. And like when you, see, that's right, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And when you see Gas Masks. You know, gas masks. Mm-hmm. And when you see the video of the, you know, like that sort of becomes apparent. But I'm wondering, like, words do intersect with some of your work, you know, not just in the film work, but, you know, like um, your band has a name, the songs that you play have a name. You know, I wonder, do you have any thoughts about that, especially for a piece that perhaps hasn't got lyrics? Like, how do you make a decision? Like, do you start numbering them or how do you, yeah. Like, how do I number? I, I call things, like at the moment I'm writing a series of short, small ensemble pieces for the Shed series next year. And at the moment they're all called Shed 1, <laughs> Shed 2, Shed 3. And I actually haven't, I'm actually just, I'm trying to make it really quite improvisatory. Improvisatory. And, um. <laughs> And so I'm trying not to get too caught in them sort of meaning yeah. sort of anything because sometimes it's good to have, like sometimes I'll have an idea or I want to write something around, you know, around an idea or, or I'll just have a book that I read that I want to get the feeling. I often actually, for me it was, um, often it's visual stuff because I think a lot in colours mm. and... Um, because I, I remember just actually when I when I was about 19 going and seeing a Paul Clay mm. exhibition and I went with my flat and everyone we all went and everyone left and I went, oh, I'm just going to stay for longer. And I just walked around it going, I want to I want to write music like that sounds like this looks. Wow. And um, couldn't work out, you know, how to do it. But, um, yeah, that's, I don't know. Yeah, is there some sort of sinister? I th- I think there must be on? yeah yeah. Do you hear color? Yeah. When you yeah yeah I'll play. think about yeah. things mm-hmm. whether they're green or blue wow. or um, and also but also like whether they're like textured oil mm. colors or, or or spray painted or um, wow. sort of yeah yeah I think I think well people have different ways don't they some people think about flavors 
And I often think, like, you're kind of blowing my mind. But just before we came on, you were sort of, um, came on, before we started recording, <laughs> you were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about getting rid of sibilance and you were saying, oh, you just need something dark. And I've heard, you, you talked about the weight of a sentence. And mm. I just wonder if some of this is the absolute sort of fascistness of spoken language. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, because there's something so beautiful about something simply being called Sonata 2. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and then the music it, gets to stand by itself rather than me saying it's, it's you know, that is by true. literal stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. not called Beautiful Sunset. Yeah. And because then you expect what that's going to. But it is like a whole period in classical music where they tried to do that, like sort of programmatically, <laughs> you know, saying this is what, you know, like. Um, Four Greece. seasons. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was Vivaldi's fault. Well, yeah, I guess it probably was. But, um, but you know, like pictures at an exhibition, Mazulski. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like when they tried to actually create that visual kind of narrative experience from from music mm, mm. Um, to limited success, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Because yeah. even that, like the, the stuff that you're talking about, like rendering sound in words, mm. like, um, like did you, like um, I, I don't quite know how to ask this, but with the chimes, yeah. like did you, so I don't, like I mean you probably can't remember, but and these things are never as, you know, dum 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 as this, but was there ever a point when you thought, oh no, it's sound, do you know what I mean? Like where you thought, oh if only it was a magical, I don't know, like... <laughs> like a, pa- you know, a paintbrush. <laughs> yeah, a paintbrush or, you know, like, if it was a poem or something yeah. like that. Like, oh, it, no, I, see, I think it was just always... I feel like this was the sort of antagonism that I needed to work out, you know. It was about my relationship with music. So it was... Even though it didn't feel like that in a really kind of conscious way, it clearly was, like, a sort of a playing out of my, you know, love, hate, sort of thing that I had mm, mm. Um, so yeah it was always definitely going to be music Was the love-hate thing between am I going to really do this or am I not what, what, Yeah what was... I think so I think it was also like next order questioning of like can I do this, am I musical enough yeah. to do this and by the time you get to that kind of involuted thought process, convoluted thought process um, I think probably you might not be in the right <laughs> profession. <laughs> yeah, I. But I, I've often. I. Do you, you have know, these doubts? Oh, and, all the time, really? and, I, and and always going. Oh, I'm so, you know, not very musical, <laughs> and um, and a, <laughs> that defined my you know early. A, a friend <laughs> a while ago, some some years ago, we were talking about another player, and he said he said some you know overseas person, but he said he's like the 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 um. He's like got this huge, amazing technique mm. with no taste, <gasps> and that's probably the oh. most dangerous yeah. combination. Mm. Mm. Then he said, mm. "You're like almost the opposite." I didn't mean that was meant to be a <laughs> compliment, and I'm sort of going, "I guess you're saying I've got good no, taste, but you're no saying technique. I've got no technique." Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's there's is a slightly fascistic kind of, you know, because performance is so, I mean, particularly classical. Yeah. performance is so ruthless like in terms of perfectionism and yeah. hierarchy and I think there is you know it's very difficult to sustain enjoyment if you're continually thinking I'm not musical or I can't do this yeah. or my technique is you know for shit and I can't play these notes um yeah <laughs> so I think that was my like I felt 
And it's the weird thing that, you know, it's not a binary, of course, but that weird thing where you can say, well, somebody's got a great technique, so they've got the physical competence, and yet, like, they've not got the musicality or they've not yeah. got the taste. And that sort of, you know, mind-body duality divide thing, I think it just wreaked havoc with me mm. personally. I would be, like, physically feeling like I can't play and yet I want to express something and, yeah. I, I sort of see that, you know, that, that, that sort of... The paradigm or the, or the 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 in classical music mm. there's that sort of it's quite a narrow band yes. of things that yeah. you you know and other lots of other less you know more more i guess popular forms or something there can be a whole lot of ways to skin that cat absolutely and it's much narrower um, yeah. i mean i i in that's why the feedback so liberating like the idea that you're yeah. making it's sort of error and you're playing yeah. with it and there's and you know there's that freedom there but more and more i like i love working with classical players they do this <laughs> these things that are sort of quite amazing as well <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they i find them fascinating because i i don't really know what i'm doing when i'm writing for them so that used to be a really terrifying thing because it was like because i'm a fake mm-hmm. and i don't and i didn't train in composition but i can make music and slowly I started to, I decided I had to flip that yeah. and decide it was a strength Well, they'll all be thinking they're fake because they don't feel it and they have to be told what to do and they've got a rigid idea yeah, of what. Yeah, maybe, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But I, I really enjoy, I enjoy the things that they can do that mm, other mm, people yeah, don't, you yeah. know. And it's so, I mean, that feels so exciting. Like, I, I feel like I had I had a similar, a, a, a poetry teacher told me years ago, like it was the first time I sort of did poetry at university, that um, I I had no natural talent, but I could work hard, you know, like, a, you know, like that, that an understanding of craft. Someone told you that. And yeah, what, I, I think it was the best thing that anyone told me, because it was just like, oh, well, cool. You know, like, yeah. I can. Like and freed you it, to. Yeah, it kind of freed me to think. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm gonna learn about this weird thing, and I, and you know, like I'm gonna, you know, like I'm gonna, I, I can work hard, you know, like I can actually mm. work hard. Whereas if they'd sort of said, oh, you've got heaps of natural talent, I probably just would have put my feet up, you know, like I, you know what I mean? <laughs> or you'd have like, started doubting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether it had disappeared or yeah, yeah, have yeah. Have I still got it? Have I still got it? <laughs> Is it still there? And I feel like um, just when you guys were talking, I was just thinking of so many movies are like that, aren't they? You know, there's the musician who is. I am so fascinated by it. This idea of um, of talent that is somehow defaults like a kind of a um, like Ignis Fatus or the Will o' the Wisp. Like this idea that it kind of disappears. Yeah. And like, I, yeah, I'm really interested. Even in terms of sport. Sorry, there's a yes. personal obsession of things like. Um, uh, have you read that? Is it um, the Incredible Art of Fielding or the yeah, where you've got like somebody who's got a natural gift, and as soon as you start thinking too much about it, you lose it. Yeah, mm. the choking. Yeah, choking. Thing. Yeah, but I know, and the ways in which performance can do that, like performance as this very odd uh, sort of set of um, emotional behavioural tasks that you've got to go through. It was yeah. interesting because I was talking to Kerri-Ann Lee last week, and I was sort of saying, well, it's been interesting talking to a lot of people, and. I'm feeling more and more that this actual act of making noise is an incredible vulnerable making act. You know, like there's something about, you know, there some of the other things are quieter, but it seems to be that once a noise is made, I don't know, like I, I think it goes back to my fear, you know, like I always find the hardest part of these is when I have to say, oh, hi, how are you? Because, oh, you know, totally. you've yeah. sort of started. But I do wonder if maybe it's more the performance than the noise making. Well, I, I reckon, well, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. Um, 
this is why I think I turned from music to writing is because making sound is circumscribed is is linear it has to happen in time right mm, so in, mm, mm. when you're in performance you've got one go and you go through it and that's it of course there's all of that iterative process of practicing and doing all of the preparation and you know you know doing it time time, time again and obviously when you're recording things are slightly different because mm. you have software that you can and it changes the whole relationship of who's going to listen to it and of course mm. yeah the dynamic yeah. and who you're doing it for but i think i find writing so deeply reassuring because it doesn't have to happen in real time. You can come back to it and you can build on it. And you know, that's kind of messed up as well because you're like, well, how can you create an emotion when you're <laughs> returning to it? Like yeah. once when you've, you know, you're tired and once when you're grumpy and once, you know. Yeah. But I find it, it's so much, I find it more reassuring that I don't have to sort of be circumscribed by time. And, yeah. And it happens, you know, this mm. idea of recording, like, I mean, you know, like this this weird. I remember the first time someone said to me, "I liked your story," and I was. I remember thinking, "I didn't give you permission to read my story. I didn't know you had my story." <laughs> you know, like this sudden sort of offline thing that happens. Yeah. And I'm thinking the same with recording. Like you I know, like know. that is a relief to me. You know that I don't have to stand and deliver and watch someone. But then you, I mean, you I, know, you have I, both. I reckon don't it's you? really for for me. I'm really, it's really important to. Form yeah, to, to yeah. still be a performer, yeah, and yeah. I do less now, but it's still. And I still, and I, you know, I think I spent about four years from when I started performing when I was about fifteen in bands, about four years where I never looked up once, mm, mm, you know. Mm, and mm. it took a long time to get used to it. I don't think I'm a natural performer, but I know sometimes I've got something that I do can do that can do that. You know, some people can like, but I think it's really. To me, as a music maker, it's really important to perform. Mm. It's um, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine not not playing live. Yeah, mm. Mm. and and also when you're playing, you're playing well, and it's a good night, and you've got the room there. It is perhaps the biggest buzz. <laughs> yeah. you know, when I first left the Mutton Birds, I'd go and see bands, and I would just feel bereft because mm, mm. I, I wasn't doing it, you know, because um, I didn't want to do it for a while, really, but I I knew that feeling. Mm. Mm. So it's totally ego-driven. But also, like, I mean, that is just the thing. I, I've got a friend who sings, and she said to me one night, how don't you miss, and this is the thing that I will never have because I don't play a musical instrument, is this idea of, making noise together mm. like yeah you know that. and yeah th- th- that I, is an amazing thing yeah. yeah and I think you know that's why I'm not a very good singer but I love I love it when we're like Waiata or you know yeah. at church or you know something like that and I just I think that there's something quite incredible about that and as a writer I think that I'm always trying to find ways of making community you know what I mean yeah. like it's, it's really yeah. weird well, it's kind of missing from the act of writing a, a book isn't it yeah a lot of the time yeah I, I I think that is what you sort of say that thing of um a band being greater than the sum of its parts yeah. you know yeah. that's a and you think of it so many times you think of you know talking heads and so so many bands, the greatest work of everyone in the band mm. is in that time when they're all sort of playing and starting to hate each other and <laughs> yeah. sort of ripping each other apart. And um, 
Um, but it's really amazing, you know, the chemistry that happens. And like um, that's a uh, that's another thing that Carrie Ann often talks about when she talks about collaboration. How there's like the people in the room, and then there's this extra kind of entity, which yeah. is the people trying to work together yeah. in the room. Yeah. And I think that that you know, I always like I don't, I can't see any way you could get that in writing. Like I just, I would love to try and write collaboratively, <laughs> but I just have no. It always seems to end up. Oh, I'll write this paragraph, and you write. Yeah, yeah, it. that's yeah. what. Yeah, writers yeah. are control freaks. So that's why. Yes, they, that's why yeah. they do what they do. <laughs> So true. Yeah. Well, I am. Yeah, no, I, I definitely totally am. <laughs> yeah. quite wild. Hey, we're coming to the end of our conversation. Um, I have been asking everyone this, and I know it's a really hard question because already both of you have said that you're not really listening to things at the moment, but I have asked people just what was sort of the last thing they listened to or the last sound that they remember hearing. And I was just thinking on the car over, we were listening to Tune Yards, and, yeah, I just wonder, is there a song that you heard – or is there a sound that kind of is a sound that you might hear during the day that means something or, you know, like, I don't know, is it the pot boiling over or <laughs> anything like that? I don't know. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to quite a bit of music at oh, the moment, cool. actually. Um, but I'm like, if I do my exercises, which I started doing in lockdown, you know, I listen to Bollywood mainly oh, like from wow. the 60s and 70s. And I'm sort of obsessed been obsessed with Bollywood music for a long time and um, and it's interesting like lots of the stuff have got words but I don't understand them mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. I listen to quite a lot of Ethiopian sort of Ethiopian pop music okay. and, um, that's stuff that's been pushing my boat out yeah lately I've been listening to this guy though since last week I saw this film called Emma and the film festival and um, the composer was this guy a Chilean guy called Nicholas Jar. And um, I really love the score, really electronic, yeah. but quite abstract electronica. I've been listening quite a lot to him in the last couple of weeks. Did so lots. Mm. Wow. Can I ask you a question, hopping off from that? Sorry, I'm being real selfish and trying to take it in the room. Um, but what do you think are the elements, like if you had to like describe to someone, you know, like if I was talking about a sonnet, I'd say, oh, it has this many syllables, blah, blah, blah. What do you think it is? that makes Bollywood music Bollywood music. Like, it's a certain rhythmic thing, isn't it's it? Got, and it's got those sort of old, sort of traditional, it's got, you know, the sort of uh, whole lot of traditional instruments, but with oh. this mixture of pop, of Western pop, and um, I love, especially the older stuff, because it's... it's Sound, I love the sound of yeah. it, and it's quite raw. Mm. It's quite mm. raw. There's like different intervals, right? Like, yeah, not just a, a lot of the time. This is not. This is not. They're, they're doing more Western oh, scales. Right. Yeah. But you know, the 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 string sections are really mm. famous because they do all that beautiful slidey yeah. stuff, and it's really natural to to them. And they all sort of portamento all around and perfect, you know, <laughs> wow. uh, perfectly together and stuff. But um, um. Always the vocals have got like a slap delay on them. Yeah. And they're, they're sort of, they're, they're almost like feel like they've been recorded through quite sort of, they're almost quite dirty sounds, yeah. you know? Mm. It's so good. Wow. I just, I just think that my, I think that I often laugh because I kind of went from like, you know, like 
spud and you know like recorded on someone's thing in the in the in the bedroom to bollywood do you know what i mean like that was my next <laughs> right, session right. after that <laughs> oh cool and, and i th- i always think that it's really because that's what i think i like about it is that almost sometimes it is like a wall of noise like it's just like coming straight at you I and know. it's gonna roll you over I know. you know which i really like <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, it's my. Oh I'm gonna go home and listen to some Bollywood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Have you got any sounds that you can think of? Um, I was just cool thinking. Or... Um, nothing defined, but I was just thinking about just like the sounds of family life, like mm. the way in which that just becomes this like oral backdrop. And I think particularly like when you're like like we Carl and I tag team having us like a sleep in, which is like until like ten past seven, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how you're like coming up out of sleep and you can hear like the rhythms and like the peaks of sound and I know it's just so interesting like the ways like the sort of um intensities and the kind of the pitch of everything and when you know when like things are going well it's happy and they're happy sounds and you can like hear the like the yeah. shriek the alarm bell and you know and then I sort of think about the way in which we cultivate I don't know like the, I, when you said one sound I was like what's the sound that I've you know hear or that sort of defines the time at the moment it's like it's got to be like my son's just like belly laugh mm, and just mm, like when he mm. gets that sort of uncontrolled kind of laughter and how we're all kind of like seeking it and we're like w- working hard to get it. Because um, he's he's too, he's pretty verbal, but, you know, it's still, there's such a kind of a spectrum of noise that he makes. <laughs> he's quite shrieky. Um, but, yeah, it's just got to be the nicest sound in the world, eh, when you just, your children laugh and it's pretty lovely. Mm. And I just, I was... Um, I was thinking when you were saying that about how the houses that I live in have sounded different over oh, the, yes. you know, over my yeah, life. And like, you know, like people keep diaries, but it would have never occurred to me. You know, I was thinking about what are the waking up sounds yeah. in the flat that I lived in when yes. I was 16 and yeah. what are the waking up sounds in the house I lived in when I was 30. And, you know, like it's just, it mm. is really interesting. Yeah. Oh gosh. Sorry. You've both blown my mind. Thank you both <laughs> so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank that you. You're fun. both awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. The exercise um, for this um, episode, I was just thinking um, maybe you'd like to compose while you watch um, something. I don't know. I was thinking that you could choose a minute or shorter um, perhaps of video. Like um, it might be a film or a TV show. Um, It might even be like um, a a TikTok what do you call it, post, uh, video, uh. Um, but just some sort of video and what you might like to do is watch that with your recorder on and compose as you watch it so that you're making an alternate soundtrack for it. Um, yeah, I just thought that could be fun. So yeah, if you'd be interested in doing that, that'd be great. Don't forget that um, we are running that showcase um, the episode after next um, and we would love to receive any of your recordings that have been made in response to this series and if you could send those before Thursday 24th of September, that would be amazing. You can get hold of me and have a chat about that at betterreadnz at gmail.com. Thank you very much. (laughs) 